Just imagine visiting almost any Christian home right at mealtime. And what do you picture? A family seated together around a table and the dad usually begins to pray. He asks for a blessing over the meal. He wants God's favor over the meal and the family. And we all want that, don't we? We all want God's blessing and his favor on our lives over the food we eat, that it will strengthen us as we just live, and that we would see God's favor, his blessing on our lives. In fact, if someone were to come and tell you, hey, if you want God's favor, if you want God's blessing, here's what you have to do. It's real easy. Just follow these simple steps. And instinctively, all of us, we say, yes, sure, this is what we want. What do we got to do? If it's so simple, please tell us what are the steps. We say that, but oftentimes we don't really understand what God's favor and his blessing always means for us. We'll see that this morning as we go through a well-known minor prophet, the prophet Jonah. Yeah, we've heard the stories ever since we were kids. It's this amazing true story of Jonah and the whale. And there's some lessons in there, some that we've heard and some that, well, they take a while for us to learn because as much as we'd hate to admit it, we're a lot like Jonah, aren't we? Let's go ahead and dive in. We'll begin in Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come. Let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us who is responsible for making all this trouble for us. What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, What should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to the land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. You know, it doesn't take long as you read the prophet Jonah and you realize 
Jonah's a little bit different than the other minor prophets. As we go through all of the other minor prophets, we've seen that we don't really know a whole lot about them. We, we don't learn much from their lives. We learn from them and seeing what their message is and how they're talking to their audiences. Beyond their message, well, we don't really learn a whole lot. Jonah, he's a little bit different. It's not so much his message that he's going to preach. It's the life that he leads. It's his response to having to deliver the message to begin with. But Jonah, he does have a message. In fact, that's just how the book starts. But the word of the Lord came to Jonah, came to Jonah. See, sometimes it's easy to, to run past that line and not see that the word of the Lord really did come to Jonah. It's important because Jonah is a prophet. All the things he's going to do, and you think, well, that would revoke his call, or he's no longer a prophet, or maybe he never was to begin with. Oh, no, it's clear. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. He was a prophet. See, false prophets, they claim to speak for God. They claim to have a message from God, but they don't. It's always their message. It's always what they want to say. They're just blaspheming God by putting his name on it. Jonah, he's not like that. He does have a message from God, a message that needs to be preached, and a message that needs to be preached to Nineveh. See, that's the problem. He has to go to Nineveh. Nobody would want to go to Nineveh because Nineveh was a brutal city. It's the capital of Assyria, and it was a rough place. I mean, the people there were brutal. They were known for being so ruthless and so brutal that when they captured people and they took over their enemies, well, they would dismember their bodies. And they would do it in such a way that the only thing they'd really leave is like the right hand, their right arm and the right hand, so that they could shake the hand of their enemies and smile at them while they watched them die. I mean, it was a ruthless, terrible people. One of the kings of Assyria, in the excavations that's been done there, we have his words, and he's recorded as saying, I flayed the skin from as many nobles as has rebelled against me and draped their skin over the pile of corpses. I burned their children. I captured many troops alive and cut off their arms and hands, noses, ears, and extremities. I mean, the Assyrians were so evil. We don't even want to talk about this type of evil. These were a people who were demon-worshiping, immortal, brutal, worthless, unmerciful, a perverted people, a people that we would want to have nothing to do with. And yet, here's Jonah. He's got a message, a message from God, a message that is to be delivered to Nineveh to tell them about their evil and how all their evil is coming up against the Lord. And Jonah, he's given no assurances as to how the Ninevites are going to take this message. God doesn't tell Jonah, hey, you're going to go, you're going to tell them this, and they're going to listen to you, they're going to befriend you, they're going to invite you in, they're really going to like you, Jonah. No, he doesn't even have any assurances that he's going to make it out alive. He knows what the Assyrians do to their enemies, and he doesn't know if he's about to be their next victim. He does not know. He's given no assurances. And so Jonah, well, he's not too excited about going to Assyria. But the truth of the matter is, as much as we look at Jonah and say, man, you're hopping on another ship, you're going the other way, what's up with that? Well, the truth of the matter is, none of us would have been too happy to hop on a ship headed toward Nineveh to deliver this message either. And so we know what happens. Jonah, he runs. He hops on board a boat headed toward Tarshish. It's in Spain. It's the complete opposite 
direction. It's the whole, it's the end of the Western world at that time. You could not get any further away. And this is where Jonah is headed. Uh, God's call on Jonah's life had been clear. Get up, arise, go to Nineveh and preach against its wickedness. Jonah, he gets up and he goes, but he didn't go to Nineveh. He goes to Spain. He goes to Tarshish. Now, here's the thing. Whenever we run in disobedience, we're always running in the wrong direction. Whenever we run in disobedience, we're always running in the wrong direction. I mean, you imagine Jonah here, don't you? He goes to the decks, and he's walking the decks, and he's going from captain to captain, from crew to crew, and he's asking them, hey, where are you headed? Where's, where's your ship bound for? Where, where, where are you going? And he's just looking for ships that are headed west, and maybe the first one says, hey, we're going to Egypt. He's like, ah, no, Egypt, that's too close. That's not going to do. How about you? Where are you headed? Where, where are you going? Oh, we're going to Antioch. Oh, Antioch, mm, I wasn't hoping for that either. How about you? Where are you headed? Carthage. Ah, Carthage is too close too. Not really what I was hoping for. How about you? Where are you headed? Tarshish. Tarshish. Oh, man, you can't get any further away than Tarshish. That's great. How much is the fare? I'll pay anything to go there to avoid going to the place where God has called me. See, sometimes God, he calls you and me too, doesn't he? And we know, hey, there's a person, there's, there's this neighborhood where he's planted us. We've got these friends on the sports team. This is workplace, wherever it is. We, we know where it is that God has planted us, where he's called us to these places where we live, work, study, and play. And yet sometimes, say, oh, no, I can't really engage that person. Maybe I'm here next to them, but I can't engage them. No, that's, that's not going to work. And so we run from it. But understand, whenever we run in disobedience, we're always running in the wrong direction and we never really find that place of peace we never find that place of joy that place where we just enjoy doing what God has called us to do you understand that the disobedient Christian is really the most miserable person on the planet why because God has called you he's adopted you into his family He's given you a name. He's put worth and dignity and value on you. And he's made you to be his representative, to be a light in the darkness. He's made you to go and to share and to impact people. He's made you to be these ministers of reconciliation. This is what he's called you to, to shine your light as you walk with him. And when you say, you know what, I think I'd rather just hide that light. I mean, the people that I could interact with here, uh, I don't know, they, they, they kind of weird me out a little bit. I just don't think I'd be comfortable. That's not for me. For whatever it is, for whatever reason, maybe you're too busy, you got too many things on your plate, maybe you're uncomfortable, maybe there's other things you'd rather do, whatever the reason. Whenever we run in disobedience, we're always running in the wrong direction. Jonah, he disobeyed all the imperatives that God had given him. And the fact of the matter is, sometimes we do too. Oh, it seemed okay for Jonah at first. You know, he's disobeying, he's running. This terrible storm comes up on the sea while he's in the boat. I mean, the sailors are terrified. They're so terrified that like a prayer meeting breaks out right then. All the sailors, they're each praying out to their own gods and calling on everyone. I mean, they are terrified. They're nervous. Everybody's praying. Everybody except Jonah. Oh, Jonah, he's gone down below. He's fast asleep. Somehow he is sleeping through this terrible storm. Oh, yeah, he seems to be at peace. Doesn't it strike you as ironic that you have all these pagan sailors praying? 
while the prophet of God is sleeping. Well, it bothered the crew. <laughs> they find Jonah. They discover here's this guy. He's just sleeping. He's the stranger, not even a sailor. Who is this guy anyway? Who he, he can sleep through all this. The captain even comes. And you imagine the captain comes and just kind of grabs him by his collar and yanks him up to his feet and barks in his face. You need to pray to your God. Call out to your God. Maybe your God will help us from all this. Then, for the first time, as Jonah's curled up to his feet, he's looking around and he sees this, the, the reeling and the rocking of the boat. He hears the wind screeching. He feels just the, the shuddering of the timber as the ship is beginning to break up. He senses that they're in mortal danger. And just like a flash of lightning, it comes to him. Jonah knows he's responsible because this is a storm from God. God has sent this to get his attention, to wake him up, because he's running in the wrong direction. God's not done with him. God, he's pursuing him, and he uses this storm to pursue him. Oh, you can imagine that Jonah can hear the voice of God through the howling of the wind, calling him out for his disobedience. And it's come to that point when now even the pagans are holding this prophet to a higher standard than he is holding for himself. Why? Because they expect him to pray when Jonah is busy sleeping. So we get no indication that Jonah actually does pray. The, the scene shifts. As soon as the captain calls him to pray, the scene shifts almost immediately uh, because Jonah, he just wants to hide. He didn't want to pray. You, you almost get this idea that Jonah doesn't feel like he's on speaking terms with God at this moment. And so the crew, they get together and they're casting lots, pebbles, and they're trying to determine, okay, who's responsible for this thing. And so everybody gets a pebble and they're going to see, okay, who does the colored pebble land on? Who is responsible? And the pebble, the lot, it falls on Jonah. And you can imagine the scene, can't you? The wind, it's whipping across the deck. The, the ship is rolling up and down on the high waves and they're hardly able to stand and they're rain drenched and they're scared to death. And this lot has fallen on this stranger, the one man on the ship they barely even know. And he's the one who's been down below. He's the one who's been sleeping. Who is this guy anyway? And so the interrogation begins, and they began questioning him. Hey, just who are you? What is your job? Where are you from? From what people are you? Where are you headed? You need to tell us, answer us. Oh, yeah. God is pinning down Jonah on this stormy sea. All the questions he wouldn't have wanted to answer, everything that he was trying to dodge, everything he was trying to hide from, now he's got to answer. See, his sin was being exposed to a watching world. How painful is that when you're, you've got this sin and you're trying to hide and you're trying to run away from it and now it's exposed for everybody to see. But as bad as it was for all of them to see, God had seen the whole time. And Jonah, it seems like he ought to know this because this is, even he answers the question, he says, Oh, my God is the God who created the land and the sea. This almost terrifies them. 
because they look at him and they see his hypocrisy. You know that your Lord created everything. You know that your God did all this and you think that somehow you can hide from him, that you can run away from his presence. He's the one who created everything to begin with. <laughs> his hypocrisy was so evident. But sometimes we miss it in ourselves, don't we? We can miss our hypocritical attitudes, our hypocrisy in the lives we lead. We think we're fooling people. We think we're running. We think we're hiding. But the one who sees all and knows all, who created all, he doesn't miss a thing. He didn't miss any of this, and he's exposing it for Jonah. And so they ask him, Jonah, well, what are, what are we supposed to do with you? Uh, how, how, how do we kind of satisfy your God so that he doesn't just, like, take us out in the storm? Because even they realize now that only a storm like this could come from God. And Jonah says, well, you're going to have to throw me overboard. That's it. That, that's your solution. And these guys, these pagan sailors, they don't want to do it. They, they don't want to throw him. How can they throw this innocent guy overboard? I mean, that's just a step too far. That's, that's too much. And so they get back to rowing. They grab the oar. And they are paddling for their lives in desperation, trying to save Jonah so that they don't have to throw him overboard. This is how desperate they are to save his life. <laughs> Ironic, isn't it? These pagan sailors willing to risk their life on this stormy sea so that Jonah can live. And here's Jonah, unwilling to even lift a finger to preach a message of hope, to call pagans out for their sin and tell them about a God who loves, a God who would send Jonah to them Anyway, he, he wasn't willing to do any of that. And now these unbelievers risking their life for him. But it's to no avail. This storm, it's now it's getting wilder than it even was before. It's getting crazier than it even was before. They know there's no use. We can't paddle through this. And so they go and they throw Jonah overboard. But as they do, they pray and they cry out to the one true God. It's incredible. These unbelievers, they now are calling out to the one true God. And they're saying, hey, please don't, don't hold this against us. We're not trying to take the blood of an innocent man here. Don't, don't hold this against us, Lord. They recognize God for who he is. And Jonah, you can imagine, as he hits the cold water of the Mediterranean, and he saw the seas just immediately begin to calm down. He probably thought it was all over. <laughs> His body, he can't survive these temperatures for that long. It's, it's, it's over. And then a fish, a fish eats him. God had made a fish just for him to come and to swallow him. And then it's time for Jonah to thank God and to pray. To, to and I want you to listen to this prayer of Jonah from the belly of this fish. Jonah prays. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help and he listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas and the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight. Yet, I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. 
but you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to the worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Jonah prays this prayer. It's a prayer of admission. It's a prayer of repentance. It's a prayer of appreciation. See, the greatest miracle of all in chapter 2 is not God preserving Jonah in a fish. It's God restoring the heart of Jonah, the prophet. See, that's how grace always works. That the greatest gift of grace is not preservation, but restoration. It's not preservation. It's not simply that God was going to allow Jonah to keep on living, but it's restoration. God saying, I'm not done with you. I still have plans for you. I still have a purpose for you. Maybe you need to hear that this morning because your prayer of God is just for preservation. <laughs> Life seems like it's spinning out of control, that it's a mess. You don't know how you got in to where you are. You just want it preserved somehow. You just get some back, some semblance of peace back. That's what you're looking for, just some type of preservation. And God's message to you is, I want to restore you. That he's the God of restoration. That he still has plans and purposes for your life. That he's not done with you. This is Jonah. <laughs> See, Jonah, he's favored by God. He's, he's set apart as a prophet. He's been given the word of the Lord. He has a message to preach. He has something to share. He has a purpose in life. And God's restoring him to that purpose. See, the fact that God would still use Jonah, that is one of the biggest graces of God. But it's not the favor Jonah was looking for. It's probably not the favor you and I would be looking for either. Okay, I'm still going to use you. I'm still going to send you to Nineveh, to the Assyrians. But understand, God's favor in life, it's rarely what we actually look for. The blessings that we think we want, well, that's rarely what the blessings that God actually gives. I mean, you just look at all the minor prophets that we've studied through just far. They're all favored. They're all these favored messengers of God set apart to speak for him on his behalf. But yet you look at what that favor meant to them. That favor meant that they've got to deliver some really difficult messages, some messages that people would not be excited about hearing. This favor, it meant that Joel would have to go to a people and that he would tell them about this terrible locust plague that was coming and how right now that they need to repent and they, they, they need to be like, a, like someone who's lost the love of their life right before their wedding day. And they need to rend their hearts and mourn in that type of way because of their sin. That's what it meant for Joel. You know, for Amos, that favor, God's favor, it meant that he would have to leave his nice job as a shepherd in Judah to go to people in Israel, people who would not be excited about seeing him coming. And that as he was preaching to them, they would yell at him. They would tell him to stop preaching. They would tell him to go back to where he came from. And they would make up lies about him. That's what God's favor meant for Amos. God's favor for Micah? Well, it, it meant that Micah would spend his time preaching barefoot and just in his skivvies, trying to show these wealthy people who materially had a lot in Judah to show them that, hey, really, without God, 
you've got nothing. For Hosea, God's favor, it meant that he'd marry an unfaithful woman named Gomer to show Israel that, hey, this depicts, my marriage to Gomer depicts God's relationship with you. That's what God's favor meant for him. You, you look ahead at the New Testament, and you see Mary, and when we're introduced to her, she, we're told that she's highly favored by God. That highly, being highly favored, what it meant for her, it meant that the love of her life would almost put her away and divorce her quietly, the Bible tells us. It, being highly favored meant that she would go to, uh, away from her hometown to give birth in a, in a cave that she'd lie on a dirt floor with animals next to her instead of her mom or a nurse there to care for her. Being highly favored for Mary, it meant that she'd have to take her young infant son in the middle of the night and run to a foreign land, Egypt, to escape Herod and his murderous threats and regime. See, being highly favored, being blessed, it's not always what we think it's going to be. For Jonah... Being highly favored, being favored by God, being this messenger of God, meant that he'd have to go to Assyria, to some of the most ruthless, brutal people who've ever walked the face of the earth, with no assurances that he'd make it out alive. That's what the favor meant for Jonah. God's favor, his blessing for you and me, what that often means is that he's called you with a purpose. And then he says, there's a people who I want you to go and impact. I've made you to be a disciple maker. I've made you to be a minister of reconciliation. Now, in order to reconcile anything, that means that whatever it is that needs to be reconciled is in a mess. But that's what highly favored means for us. That's what God's blessing on our lives often means, is that we get to step into the messes and the dirtiness and the ugliness of life and we get to step into all that with this message of hope and healing. That we get to introduce people to the Prince of Peace and let them know that you are valued, that you are someone of dignity, that you do have purpose, that you are loved by God and that God has plans for you. That's what being favored, that's what God's blessing always means. See, we think that God's favor, that God's blessing, when we pray these types of prayers, that we, we think of good health, what we think of a nice family, we think of having nice things, we think of a life of comfort, but oftentimes God's favor, his blessing, it's not always that. Oftentimes God's favor, God's blessing involves danger, involves risk, involves this adventure, involves going to places and to people that we would never imagine that we'd be effective there that we would wonder, how, how can I possibly step into that? How can I possibly wade into that mess and bring some type of reconciliation? But God's favor and his blessing means you can. That he's going to equip you to go to people and go to places that you never thought you could because he has designs to use you. This is what God's favor meant for Jonah. This is what God's favor means for you. Our problem is, though, like Jonah, oftentimes we get that sense, we get that tug, we just know this is where we're supposed to go, this is what we're supposed to do, we're supposed to make disciples, supposed to invest in people and impact people, this is what we're called to do, but, well, we're interested in other things. We're more interested in preservation than being reconciled to God so that we can be used 
by God. This is one of God's greatest gifts. That he doesn't just say, okay, I've saved you. But God says, okay, you're saved so that you can do the very mission of my son. The same work that he gave to Jesus, he now gives to you and me. Oh yeah, we accomplish it differently. We're not dying for the sake of anyone's sins. We're not called to that. But we're called to introduce people to the one who did and to show them what it looks like to live a life marked by Jesus in relationship, how you walk in the spirit and how you grow and how you impact others. God has called us to this. Sometimes like Jonah, we want to run the other way, don't we? We get busy and we say, oh, I got this, I got that to worry about. We want to run the other way. See, do you recognize God's favor on your life? Do you recognize his blessing that he's called you to be a disciple maker? Even when you think you couldn't. Even when you, I don't have the skill, I don't have the ability, I don't have the talent. Do you see his blessings? Do you hear him saying, oh yeah, you might not have all that, but I am equipping you so that you can. See, God's favor, his blessing, doesn't always look like what we'd expect. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you that you are a God who does give your blessing and your favor on your people so that we now can be ministers of reconciliation, stepping into the messes of life with a message of hope and healing. God, forgive us for when we run. Help us to be the people you've called us to be. In order to do that, we need your help. So we ask this by the power of your Holy Spirit and the grace of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.